Hi everyone, this is your host Harmit, and you're listening to Tobin Talks. Welcome back everyone to Tobin Talks. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm your host Harmit, and today we'll be featuring our news, arts and culture, and research and tech section. Make sure you stay tuned to hear about a cool local film that explores Winnipeg and Manitoban identity through the idea of a wedding social. Also, make sure you stay tuned to learn about how the research shows that bird behavior has changed throughout the pandemic. But before that, let's start off with our news editor, Matthew, who's interviewing the UMSU International student rep, Kunal Rajpal, about the federal government temporarily allowing international students to work more than 20 hours per week off campus. I'll just get you to state your name, position, and pronouns. For sure, my name's Kunal Rajpal. I'm the international student rep for UMSU, and I use he, him pronouns. Sweet. How big of an achievement is it for international students to be allowed to work more than 20 hours a week? Uh, that's a good question. This 20-hour work limit, when it's removed, it gives us the flexibility to work whenever we want. It's not more so about working more than 20 hours, it's about working whenever you can. So, For example, if I have midterms in a few weeks, I won't be working at all during my midterms. But when I have time, I can work full time and have some money saved up during the midterm season. So it's really big in the sense that students are able to reclaim their lives and progress in a better way. For sure, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Do you know what the government's reasoning was for when they initially implemented this rule? No, I, I don't actually. No, okay. How did this law make life difficult for international students and what specific kind of issues um, arose? Oh, sure. Thank you so much for bringing that up. There are a multitude of reasons how this law has affected us. First and foremost, and this is a one which is overlooked generally, with 20-hour work limit, we lose a lot of flexibility in the choice of our employers. That means uh, abuse at our employment place increases. Right. And it also means that sometimes students are stuck with a single employer because either they can't get jobs or for some other reason. So first and foremost, it will uh, safeguard international students in the sense that they don't have to stick with one employer. Secondly, we are going through a housing crisis. Minimum wage is too low. We do not have international health care. Inflation is high as, as it could be. We are going through financial distress. And having the freedom to earn more, it gives Takes up that takes up that pressure from us. Right. So, what kind of changes do you hope to see as a result of the changing of this law? Well, this law is a first step in recognizing why international how internationals are important in this country. This law was lifted because we are going through a labor shortage. This law was lifted in the hopes that internationals will fill the gaps in the economy that are not being fulfilled right now. And Going forward, I want government to recognize that internationals are important to fill the jobs that are created every year. If I'm not wrong, there are 12,000 or 17,000 jobs that are made every year. Uh, internationals fill them. In 2020, international brought in $22 billion into the economy. That's a lot. Right. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And that number is only increasing. So I hope to see that government will recognize our value and make laws according to that. Like, for example, reinstating international health care, giving right. us our rights back. 
So, so I was going to ask you about that. Um, are there any other challenges that international students are facing right now, and how would you like to see those changed? Healthcare is a big one. Yeah, healthcare is a big one. So, how it works is, students are coming into Canada like crazy. There's a steep of international students coming to Canada, immigrants coming to Canada to live here and settle here. Uh, if I'm not wrong, eighty percent of uh, students remain in the same province that they come to. Right. So eighty percent of Manitobans will stay in Manitoba and settle in Manitoba. Now, Manitoba is not looking like a really attractive destination to students right now because we don't have healthcare, we have a housing crisis. For Manitoba to sustain itself, it needs to look attractive to immigrants, and part of that process is reinstating healthcare back. So it's not only a logical decision for international it's also a logical decision for the government because they want to make sure that Manitoba keeps looking attractive how uh how have students reacted to uh the, this new law uh from what i've seen students are very happy since this one year of freedom will actually affect their life a lot mm. as i said because of multitudes of reasons saving them some saving them for exploitation giving them the freedom to earn whenever they want how uh, however they want so I've seen a good reception. And what what do you hope the future looks like um, for uh, this law? Like, do you hope it changes? Do you hope it gets better for students? Do you hope? What do you What are you thinking? I'm not sure. This is one thing I'm contemplating right now as well. Uh, this uh, law is has came for one year, but the way I see it, we are there to fill the gaps, and these gaps are like labor shortage is not just gonna go away. Yeah. And Canada is a growing country which will have new jobs every year. So I believe government will recognize the fact that internationals are important for the economy and remove this law permanently. Sweet. Is, is there anything you want to say? No, I think you covered most of it. Sweet. Okay. Thank you. Now let's head on over to our arts editor, Alex, as he talks to filmmaker Tavis Putnam about his new film titled A Social. The film is about a protagonist who's pestering his friends to come to his mom's wedding social. During this plot, the film explores themes of Winnipeg and Manitoban identity. So tell me a bit about the inspiration for the movie. Like, how, how'd you get started? I think, like, initially, the idea was just supposed to be, um, like, I wanted to raise money to make a movie by having a social. Mm. Um, I thought that that was kind of an interesting idea. I don't think I'd heard of anybody doing that. And then I thought, oh, well, there should be like a scene at a social in this movie if we're going to have a social to raise money for it. And then the idea of like having this guy go around and and like try to get people to go to a social kind of came to me because I feel like that's <laughs> that's kind of what happens when like somebody asks you to go to a social, like most of the time, I don't know, like in my, to me, like, I don't always really like want to go to like my friend's cousin's wedding social. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it just seemed like pretty ripe for comedy, I guess. Cool. And then from there, how'd the production kind of go? I mean, Ryan pitched it to me as a, a no budget movie. So, so it was basically like for most of the shooting, it was like just me, my friend Jesse Durockney, who like shot the movie and and like did pretty much everything else, and our friend Tom Groom, who who did a location sound. So like for 
a good like the first like couple months that we were shooting because we sort of shot everything like when we had time mm-hmm. yeah like it was just the three of us for a lot of it because we kind of just shot everything that was just like all the scenes that were just me and then the pandemic hit and we kind of had to wait for a while but yeah it was kind of just the three of us and like um I just kind of asked Jesse and Tom like if they wanted to help me make this movie and like they seemed excited to do it because neither of them had ever worked on a feature before. And obviously I hadn't either. And yeah, we just used like equipment that we had and like locations that we, that we knew we could get and like, and, and cast people in the movie that we knew would kind of work well. Mm-hmm. That we knew, so obviously kind of the, the plot conceit and everything is a very Winnipeg Manitoba concept, And I feel like, the characters too are all, you know, people that I knew in high school or whatever. Capturing the Winnipeg spirit is kind of a thing that preoccupies a lot of artists in the city. So like, what were you trying to capture about Winnipeg? That's a very good question. I, <laughs> I mean, like to me, it is like a very isolating place to live, especially in the winter. Mm-hmm. Like I think this, I don't know if this would have worked as well as a summer movie yeah just because it, you know the city's so spread out and and there's like essentially no public transit and like it's so sparsely populated and it's like mostly suburbs so yeah like it's just kind of a lonely place and this character i sort of see as like as like a, an extra like a very extroverted person who like wants a lot of social interaction and wants some kind of community, but he can't, he can't get it. Cause he, you know, his social skills are so terrible, but I mean, I, I do hope that like, <laughs> you know, it comes across with some kind of love for the city. Cause I do love Winnipeg. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a weird place to live. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask a little bit about the character too. Um, I mean, for most of it, you're kind of laughing at him a little bit, sort of like a cringe comedy, yeah. comedy of manners type thing. But I mean, by the I mean, the ending is pretty sad for him. So what, yeah, what, what kind of, what kind of tone were you going for with the character, and how do you how do you want people to, to feel about him? I mean, I think yeah, like I think this movie is mostly a comedy, and you know, the, there's a lot of humor that comes from kind of like an ignorant kind of desperate character like that but I don't know I think like to sustain a like a a comedic feature film you kind of need to give the character I guess a little bit of dimension otherwise it'll it'll just end up being like a a sketch Mm -hmm. so like I hopefully like that came across pretty organically but yeah because I think like it's a pretty realistic movie I'd say so you know, the the longer it goes, I think the more you kind of have to find out a little bit more about this character. And, you know, I think most people, most people are pretty well-rounded and, and you can kind of eke some kind of sympathy out of most people, no matter how kind of, you know, unsavory they can be, I guess. Mm-hmm. What inspired the, the use of the, the vlogging as, as the through line in the movie? I don't know. I just, uh, I, I like cell phone videos. I like, I like the idea of like shooting a nice, like widescreen movie 
and then kind of like throwing it black and white movie and then like throwing in these kind of like color cell phone videos as kind of like a you know to show like the contrast between the two I don't know it just it's it sort of worked well as like a plot device too because you can kind of like anchor all these scenes in between like a, a character doing a vlog but also like vlogging is just kind of funny to me I guess okay you know yeah not to not to lead you too much but yeah would you say that it has anything to do with kind of the the theme of like isolation or alienation like reaching for for the community yeah I mean I think so like I know um like I love I love eighth grade and I think Mm -hmm. they did that well in that movie with the the character like talking into the camera and you know like nobody's really listening and I think like I had done I had done a short film years ago with this same character and, and I was doing that in the movie and back then it was really like it was like a practical choice because that like I shot that short film really quickly and like I didn't have a lot of equipment so I could like tell big chunks of the story in like with a cell phone and I was able to like go into places just with my phone and it wouldn't be as distracting Mm -hmm. so yeah I think that was part of it like I just kind of like the you know the contrast between the two visual styles that way okay interesting I want to ask too about the um the cod playing men's right activist sequence in the middle yeah where, 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 yeah where did that come from what, what did you hope to to get across with that bit <laughs> that's a good question um i don't know i just again like i i'm just interested in these these people with these really extreme views i guess there was that guy from winnipeg i think who he was like trying to recruit people for like some kind of like white supremacist rally. Do you remember this? Okay. I feel like I know a few of these type of people. Okay. I have a real, I have a real fixation on this guy, Stefan Arnio, who is a, okay. a big men's right activist figure. But I feel yeah. like, yeah, I feel like Winnipeg is a sort of a breeding ground for that kind of thing. I mean, I guess so. I don't know. I think this guy was from Winnipeg, but I think he like ended up, he like crossed the border into the States at one point and was like on the run or something, but Mm. I don't know. I mean, that was, I also like took that character from another short that I had written that I never made. So I kind of like in that way was just sort of like, like ripping myself off a bit, I guess. This movie talks a lot, I guess, about like what Canadian culture is, I guess. And like, which is an interesting idea to me because like, you know as like a colonial country it feels like they're like when people talk about like Canadian culture they are mostly just talking about like white Canadian culture that in itself is kind of funny because like Canada takes so much from other places like especially the U.S. and Britain and you know obviously like every other country that people you know move to Canada from so I don't know, it was like, it was a weird thing to explore. And I think I was just interested in like the kind of extreme, like the extreme kind of viewpoints that someone like that would have. Like, it's obviously like very pathetic already, but I was kind of just like wanting to make it seem even more so like a Canadian patriot, I just find funny. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because yeah, the, the main character, he also mm-hmm. has a little bit of that with his his weird Winnipeg pride 
and is yeah constant hammering of the manitoba social yeah yeah like i wanted i wanted ross to kind of be the kind of guy who would sort of like he would kind of like jump on board anything like he just mm. kind of wants to he kind of wants to be a part of something yeah and again like the whole winnipeg like like civic pride is kind of funny to me in a way like i understand it but at a certain like you know especially for winnipeg like mm. <laughs> you know i love winnipeg but it's it's kind of certainly it doesn't have like a ton going for it so somebody who's like super into like being from winnipeg is really mm. funny cool i think that's all i had for you yeah what are kind of the the future plans for the for the film beyond these these screenings at the cinematech we're waiting we're waiting to see if we got into any film festivals so i will keep people updated i guess okay um, cool. been rejected by one so far so hopefully the other like 10 or so <laughs> mm-hmm. someone in there wants to share the movie yeah cool thanks for talking to me thanks yeah. so much alex yeah everyone so the film is titled a social and it's screening from october 13th to 15th at the cinematique more information can be found on the winnipeg film group website underneath a social next up we have our research and tech editor ella who's speaking to mia warrington a u of m postdoctoral fellow about her research on changes in bird behavior during the pandemic so i'm a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Manitoba mm-hmm. and the Department of Biological Science. And I'm also a adjunct professor at the Natural Resource Institute at the University of Manitoba. Okay, so um, I would just love to hear about your research work and yeah, we could talk about your project and go from there. Okay. Yes. Okay, so could you tell me more about like your work in terms of like bird behavior and the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, sure. So um, when I started that project, we were really interested in what birds might have been doing in response to um, the changes in human movement. Because, of course, when everything locked down, yes. everybody stayed at home. But ex- we didn't exactly stay at home because we were allowed to go out for exercise before we're going out to places where they were allowed to go. And also groceries, shopping is the only place you can really go shopping or the essential suppliers. So we thought, okay, this is actually going to change human, um, like the human behavior is changing a lot, so the animals will. So that's why we start this project. And this project was actually part of a, a much larger project of researchers where we started discussing what wildlife would do. Mm-hmm. And uh, previous to, to this, like a year ago, um, lead author Michael Shrimp, who's also on the project with with this paper that just got published, mm-hmm. we um, we published in North American stuff. So we used a very similar approach. So we could just get an idea of what was going on in Canada, the U.S. versus um, what's going on in the U.K. where I live. And, and we're always hoping that there'll be more researchers who are going mm-hmm. to do other countries so we get a, a better idea of what's going on. And could you tell me how um, like you collected data like in the U.K.? What was the process like? Because everybody had to stay at home, mm-hmm. uh, we actually leveraged the, the, the power of citizen science. Um, and that is all the people who were staying at home and watching birds at their house or when they were going out for walks and, um, and their exercise. And there's this community-based platform called eBird, and it's mm-hmm. run by the Lab of Ornithology um, at Cornell University. Mm-hmm. 
And so what these people, all these different people all over the world were doing is at, and especially in the UK where our data set came from, they were going and they were um, watching birds and they were logging all the birds that they saw mm-hmm. and putting this up on this database. And this, this really beautiful database, they, it's very scientifically curated. Like they actually go and they have this whole process to make sure that um, the data that gets entered um, passes or checks. And then they give all this information so we can filter even further so we can make sure we have exactly the type of data that we, we'd like to have from that. So that was really cool about this data is that um, it was based off people just going out there and and doing their thing and, and helping out nature and watching nature and putting that information up for us scientists to actually use that. And then from there, we did all sorts of filtering and models just to find things out. Oh, the other thing is the, the human mobility data came from Google. Okay. <laughs> right, we looked all, yeah, Google mobility. Now we tried to get other data as well, like looking at traffic and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we didn't find any strong sources of data mm-hmm. for that where we can have consistently across the country. So in the end, Google mobility mm-hmm. with like the strongest data set we had, which is just tracking people's movements on their, on their cellular networks. So we were also able to use that. So it's kind of cool that we just pulled this data from what was already um, out there yeah. or being collected by um, everyday citizens. Okay, that, no, that's great. Um, and what were your yeah. overall findings like? Well, for the UK one, it was very mixed results. Like, you know how the, um, the media was full of, oh, animals are coming out and look mm-hmm. at the goats in the streets and things like that. And mean that all the birds are going to come out when we're gone and we're like no no it did not it was very mixed results and um for instance some birds like if we look at when people stayed at home more which is when they would probably be using their gardens and we have uh, other other studies have shown that like actually other data sources have shown that people were spending time in the yards and things and some birds um for instance, like the, the great tip, um, they weren't seen as much when people were spending more time in the yards. So that suggests that they were disturbed by people coming into the yards and enjoying it with their pets and spending a lot of time out there. And so that was surprising. For some animals, like the blackbirds, they initially did quite well, and it could have been because people were putting out more bird feeders and bird baths, and, you know, just enjoying the wildlife. And uh, so also... Like, for instance, when we looked at parks, a lot of people actually went to parks and brought their picnics and, and had, had a ball mm-hmm. out there. And at first, some of the crows and gulls, they, they liked that because people left all the rubbish behind, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were eating that. And But then we found that over time, it wasn't actually a good thing over the long term. Like maybe in the beginning, they were feasting on our like chips and okay. rats and everything. But over time, a lot of people there seem to disturb them. Mm-hmm. So we had all these interesting mixed friends where that basically showed, okay, some species, they, it was it's good. Mm-hmm. But other species, it was like, no, 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 we disturbed them in whole new different ways than mm-hmm. they were disturbed before. And uh, so, yeah, it's, a, it's food for thought. We didn't strictly stay home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we changed the behavior and animals responded mm-hmm. in good, good and bad ways. So overall, you said that human behavior did influence bird behavior. Yes, it did. It definitely did. And it depended on which type of human behavior. 
like when we were at home or when we were going to parks and mm-hmm. when we were driving our cars, all all of that made a difference in different ways. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, uh, on a larger scale, what would you say is the importance of this research and the data that you collected? Yeah, so I, I think the take-home message for this is that there isn't just one human effect. It's not like we stayed at home and that was it. It was all these little different things we did, staying in our gardens versus going to the parks versus driving less. All of them are separate effects, and those affected birds in different ways. Now, the fact that birds did then quite quickly respond to our, our changes, our very sudden drastic changes, is a really good thing because that means that nature can be resilient, right? So if we want to do some changes to help nature out, you know, in the face of the climate crisis and biodiversity mm-hmm. and uh, declines, we can do things. We can definitely do things and nature will rebound quite quickly. But we have to be very careful and thoughtful about it because we know that there's a lot of little um, nuances to that. So it's kind of encouraging because we know we can do it. But also, let's not be dumb about it. Let's think about it carefully so we can actually do as much good as possible. Yes, yes, thank you. (laughs) Okay, and um, would you say you had any limitations when um, getting your findings during the study? How do you mean, like, just getting the results? Yeah, limitations Um, with your results. Well, because of privacy issues, we don't, we couldn't get exactly where, um, what, like, you know, you can't get if people are inside their house or mm-hmm. out, like inside versus outside because it just shows their houses. It's not like we just Google zoomed in and said, now are you in your yard? And that's obviously something that's not going to happen, but we don't have that. So that, like, if there's any future studies that go in, that we would kind of want to actually know literally what people were doing at these places. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing is a just more human mobility resolution. And again, for privacy reasons, it would be really good to just not know when people like, were just staying home versus parks, but the more specific behaviors around that. And uh, so just more, more specific details would be good for follow-up, but of course this is kind of very broad approach still really gives us some resolution on um, on what, like at least that is mixed results and birds are responding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's just more information the better, mm-hmm. if okay. you can get it. Okay, so <laughs> that, um, that would be the next step for your research, just seeing how you can like overcome like the mm-hmm. limitations of getting the data, right? It is, or even just being more specific on some species, like because it takes so much work to get that detail, and and you have to design studies and even go get the data yourself. Rather, from, well, you can still get from citizens, but you might have to like engage them in a different way. Mm-hmm. So it's just like target species. If um, the other thing is because I used eBird, I was with the really common species because the models I did required a lot of data. Which means like I can look at maybe endangered species like the willow warbler, or maybe not endangered but more threatened species like the willow warbler. Mm-hmm. So I think any future studies um, that that can go down to that that level of specificity mm-hmm. and should you know have a look at these endangered species, um, they'd have to do it different mm-hmm. right design. But <laughs> you know go, go do that just mm-hmm. because it would be good to know how the, the threatened species are doing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, could I ask, what species did you mm-hmm. look at with your research? Well, I did the 
25 most common ones on the eBird list um, mm-hmm. because I was doing the whole of the UK and mm-hmm. it's been in a lot of different photos. So it, it's like a lot of iconic comic birds like the, the blue tit, English's most colorful bird, mm-hmm. the iconic um, European robin that's on all the Christmas cards, um, blackbirds, which, you know, the Beatles have sung about, you know, all these very iconic birds as well as things like mallards and gulls and um, crows, magpies, Buzzards, let's see what else we also think, great. Right? So, you know, just all, all common feeder species, species mm-hmm. and things like that. Okay, thank you. Okay, and I just have one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, what got you interested in, like, your bird studies? Uh, this particular bird yes. study? Well, I think it's just, um, you know, when the pandemic hit, it was kind of like a, quite a shock on people, right? Oh, mm-hmm. this is a threat, and you've never seen anything before like that, where, you know, stay indoors. And um, and the world kind of got turned upside down. And uh, like many others, we found ourselves chatting on, on Zoom to the people we do research with mm-hmm. and being scholars who started thinking about what we saw out there. And also because a lot of us are like, you know, um, socially like attached to like people who are medical or friends like that. You just like, you get into this, what can I do? Because I'm not a doctor, mm-hmm. you know, right? or a nurse or you know this very obvious human things that were made and just the chatting just made us see this gap and we're like okay just want to you're curious because you're scientists you want to help because there's a crisis mm-hmm. and and just walking and realizing that it's quite complex just for all of us around the world sitting on zoom staring at each other going mm-hmm. okay let's 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 do it let's do it and find this out so yes. okay thank you so much All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. So just a reminder that in a couple of weeks, we will have our Halloween episode. So for that, if you guys have any spooky poetry, any spooky music, or any spooky stories that you want to submit, please email them all to me at audio at themanitoban.com. That's also the email address where you can toss me any suggestions. So if you think there's something really cool that you're doing that you want to be interviewed about, if there's a community member at the U of M that you want to be interviewed, that would also be really cool. Please send me those suggestions by email as well, as well as if you just have any feedback for the podcast. If you want to let me know how you like it so far, that would also be really cool. Once again, it's audio at themanitoban.com. To listen to the podcast every week, Tobin Talks, you can tune in on UMFM Radio, which is on 101.5 FM. So you can tune in there every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. and hear our podcast when it premieres. But then, if you don't get a chance to do it then, you can also listen to it anytime on Spotify, Apple Music, all the platforms, you name it. Just search up Tobin Talks and you're good to go. 